How's it going? Oh, it's 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 going. It's it's rocking and potentially rolling. How are you? Uh, living the dream, man. Living the quarantine dream. <laughs> quarantine dream. Hell yeah. This is um actually I uh I I we had talked earlier in this week about maybe doing a recording at some point over the weekend. Um and I had meant to look up how long it's been now that we've been doing quarantine, like run the, run the numbers. And, and I don't know. Uh, so, so tell me you did that. I did not do oh. that. I completely forgot, uh, because it's now been long enough that like, I don't recall what the, <laughs> what the, what's it the, used to be every what day week of the week I is knew. today. I, I'm not sure. What's that? What's, what's, what's today's day of the week. Sometimes I don't even know that. <laughs> I, I hear that. Yeah. There are some mornings where I definitely, uh, you know, I wake up and I get the coffee brewing and I shuffle over to my laptop and I log in and I open up my calendar to see what meetings I have. And it wasn't for the fact that the day of the week that's the current one is fucking highlighted. I would have no idea. Yeah. Uh, same here. Same here. <laughs> and so, uh, so, you know, we, uh, my, uh, Super duper deluxe uh, system administrator, JFabHD, that'd be you, uh, killed our uh, G Suite domain. Interestingly, my, one of my calendar apps didn't fail until this morning. So when I got up to uh, take Pearl out and kind of start my day, I looked at my watch and there was an error message, and then I looked at my phone, and it was like, oh, you need to put in your password to your G Suite account. So mm. you turned that off, what, uh, a week ago? Yeah, it was about a week ago, I think. I uh, I suspended all the accounts in there, so that's interesting. So, so um, mine was cached in some manner. That app was cached in some manner. I think I was I'm yeah. using Fantastical. Yeah, I know... Um, I'm not as familiar, admittedly, with a lot of the client interactions and app interactions on the the G Suite side, how they handle that. I know from the Office 365 side, uh, a lot of their client authentication is certificate-based. So you plug in your credentials, the service says, yep, those are correct, and it'll spit back a certificate for you. Um, And then the app authenticates through that. It'll have a lifetime of, it kind of depends. Sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's a week, uh, that sort of thing. I know within Office 365, there's actually an option in there to uh, forcibly end all existing sessions for a particular user account um, because of that very reason that, you know, if you block an account from signing in, they might not need to re-authenticate for a little bit based on the certificates. So um, that, that would be my guess off the cuff. Yeah, I would say that's what's going on. I uh, so, so none of the apps that I currently pay for um, support both the Office 365 integration and um, Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. There is, I got a notice the other day, I, uh, BusyCal. So I, I had... Uh, I used BusyCal ages ago in the early days. I think even before the the Macs had moved back to app to Intel. I think when they were still PowerPC, and I can't remember why I used it instead of the Apple uh, uh, solution. Probably because the Apple solution was a dumpster fire, and uh, um, so I looked and I could get a discount for that and a discount for Busy Contacts. 
I don't know if you have lived long enough uh, in the Apple ecosystem to have um, a metric shit ton of contact groups, none of which appear to have everything in them. Even if you click at the top and say, I want the one that has everything in it, uh, I will add people on my phone and they won't show up in the everything list on my Mac, even though I'm using iCloud syncing for everything. So uh, I may buckle down and do uh, Busy Cow and, and Busy Contact, and because uh, you could you could get a discount together, mostly to clean up my um, contacts. But I do like having my I do like having my Office three sixty five calendar integrated onto the face of the Apple Watch. I still get the notifications, but right. I like it on the face. Yeah, I could see that being helpful too. Just kind of real quick at a glance, uh, figure out what what do you have next. Especially because you know I I've I've looked at your calendar periodically, and um, there's 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 usually a, a, a few things on there every day, a, a handful maybe um, of, of meetings you have scheduled. Is, is there any clear space on my calendar most days? Uh, usually no. Usually no. I'm like. Yeah, I don't, people I don't know when he does anything. Put stuff on at lunch because that's the only that's the only clear space. And I'm like, what's wrong with you people? Right, like motherfucker, I gotta yeah. eat sometime. Yeah, know? I'm like, so you just you just expect uh, we're we're all quarantined, so there's no reason to have a lunch 15 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. No, you just. Uh... Don't have to prepare anything. <laughs> Just eat immediately at your at your desk. It's fine. So, John, we've already mm-hmm. fucked up this podcast because well, we always talk about drinking first. So, what are you drinking, man? Yeah. So, um, I am drinking one of the weekly specialty beers from Braxton, aka the only place I've had beer from in the last like four or five recording sessions because. I don't leave my home anymore, but uh, this is not my usual type of thing. Um, this is probably more your type of thing. So I know we've talked before about Braxton doing the special releases on Thursdays, limited to about 150-ish crawlers. Uh, they started, I don't know, maybe a month or so into the quarantine doing um, a lot of sort of smoothie type beers lots of fruit uh, on saturdays and so this is the release from last saturday um i have two crowlers of it for myself in the fridge one of which is now uh half in this pint glass in front of me and two for you that you have to pick up yet uh but this is the quadruple berry smoothie um what was it blueberry strawberry raspberry and blackberry I forget. I'll yeah, I'll black, look it up while you're talking blackberry. about yours. But blackberry, that's yep. it. Yeah, yep. yeah. And it's um, I'll have to take a picture. It's this like deep burgundy color. It looks glorious. If you didn't know it was beer, you'd probably think it was some kind of weird like uh, naked juice or something like that. It's about is what it, it is looks. Is it pretty like. pulpy looking inside, like the blood orange was? Uh, I don't know if I'd say pulpy. I mean, it's definitely opaque, uh, but you don't really see anything too too substantial inside okay. of it. But it's it's tough to tell because it is so opaque. Like I'm holding it up right now to the light, and I mean, I can't I can't see through it enough to really tell. 
it's uh, it's it's thick for sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, very so good. Far, though. Yeah, so far all of those I've thought are uh, are pretty decent. Um, the ones I've been able to get to, um, I did uh, troll them a little bit one uh, Saturday when I got uh, shut out of 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 beer, and they explained to me how their system worked, and I explained to them back that I watched the video that told me how to do it, and it <laughs> still didn't work, and. I didn't go into the fact that my friend JFabHD figured out how to beat the system, and when I use his methodology, I get what I I get a beer. So uh, yeah, they, they but, fixed that bug though. Yeah, they fixed sounds, that bug. It sounds yeah. like they did fix fix that bug. But we both <laughs> we both got it last week. So um, before I go to mine, we both had we were both drinking sometime last week. And I had, so what did I have that you had already opened? It was the blood orange tangerine. Uh, was it a, was it a Gosa or a smoothie? That one was a Gosa. Gosa. And uh, it was, it was outrageously good. I mean, it was, uh, yes. it was fantastic. Yeah, that one was, that one was amazingly good. Um I happened to have it trying to remember it was, yeah, it was definitely over a weekend that I had it. And then, um, they released on like the following Monday. Cause I, I sat on that one for a little while. I didn't, I didn't have it right away. Um, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I was incorrect. It was a smoothie. smoothie so okay. it was the blood orange tangerine smoothie. Yep. Okay. Um, I sat on it for a little while, so it was in my fridge for about a week and a half, I think. And then uh, I had it on a Saturday or Sunday, and then the following Monday, they did a a, uh, a four-pack of 16-ounce cans release from the labs. That was just the Blood Orange Goza. Uh, ale with sea salt, coriander, and orange puree. Yeah. And... I hesitate to say that it was... It's not that it was a bad beer... It's just that that smoothie was so good that having something that similar to it right afterward was kind of a big letdown. So yeah, the bar was um, pretty the, high on the smoothie. It it was it was. So I, I don't want to throw shade on the the goza. I think the goza was good. I still have one in my fridge, I believe. Um, but it's just comparing those two was not was not close. So I got two of those, and I gave one to our mutual friend Sam. He's not had it yet. And uh, I told him the other day that it was so good, I was going to sneak into his house and uh, steal it back. Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, man, that one was, it was really on point. So um, I hope he enjoys it when he finally gets around to drinking it. It's, it is a treat. That needs to be savored. So he texted me last night, and he's, he, was, he was having the, uh, so I went to Mirror Twin uh, on Memorial Day and got you and I some beer because we were just randomly having a conversation on uh, by text, and we were both bored. And I'm like, oh, shit, somebody's selling beer somewhere. And I looked at all the, the various uh, uh, breweries and said, well, I'll drive uh, an hour and 15 minutes each way to go get John and I some beer because I don't have anything else to do. Every, You know, it's quarantine. I'm not going in places. And, you got lots uh, of podcasts built yeah, up to listen to. Yeah. And so um, um, I went to get what I'm drinking, 
which is the uh, La Tortuga uh, Mexican-style dark lager. I first had this uh, a year ago during the uh, Cinco de Mayo uh, uh, festival that uh, several of the breweries had and really liked it. And so this is what I ran over to get. But on their webpage, they had a special for Memorial Day, which was their hazy IPA. And they do several hazies, but it was their hazy IPA with, I, I know it was pear. Was it pear and cinnamon? I think is what it was. Yeah, I believe it was pear and cinnamon. And so Sam starts texting me last night and he's like, what's in this? I can't figure out what's in this. And so uh, I said, uh, pear and cinnamon. And he's like, oh, yeah, it's the pear. It's so good. And then we were yeah. having a conversation about the the uh, blood orange tangerine smoothie. And that's when I suggested I might sneak back in his house and 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 steal that one back. And he, he told me he wasn't home. That was probably a bad move that he told me he wasn't yeah, home. Yeah, it's a bold move. Yeah. But uh, I didn't really feel like getting in the car and driving an hour, <laughs> an hour each way to uh, to to take back a beer I gave him. So right, yeah, it's it's a it's first. a little it's a little low move, but no, that uh, honestly that that hazy IPA is extremely good, but it does have. I, I say, but like it's bad. It's definitely not a, a bad thing. It has an extremely unique flavor. Um, and if I hadn't read the description on their website that said, hey, it has pear and cinnamon, I don't know if I'd be able to identify that's what it is. I would just be like, holy shit, that's really good. And I I don't think I've ever had anything quite like that one before. I, I don't think I have either. either. And, and like you, I don't think I would have identified it had I not seen that. I certainly, seeing pear and cinnamon, I was like, well, I got to try that. So Yeah, uh, so, yeah. yeah. So I, I noticed that, uh, so you got the, uh, so I'm and the reason I'm drinking the mirror twin is because we both are homies and all we've been drinking lately is mostly Braxton, uh, an occasional West six thrown in or an occasional Therial, but we're both like most drinking, mostly drinking the Braxton. Um, they have the Thursday and, and Saturday and sometimes what is it Monday or Tuesday specials? Yeah. Um, but you grabbed the, uh, pineapple milkshake IPA, didn't you? I, I did. And in fact, that was the other one, uh, in the running for tonight's recording. So, oh, so um, that crawler is still in my yeah. fridge. Yeah. I, uh, actually, I picked up it. I picked up that one, uh, another random crawler, uh, that I ordered on that Thursday. Um, because they've got some decent crawlers that they'll sell for like five bucks. Hard, hard to beat a crawler for five dollars. Um, and then I didn't get it right away. And then Saturday, you and I both got uh, two crawlers of the quadruple berry smoothie. So I went down there on Monday this past week, and I I was that person picking up six crawlers while I was down there. So I, I got a good haul, but no, I've not had that one yet. Yeah, I th I feel like I'm gonna look like the uh, the beer mule um, when I bring uh, your West Six beer and our friend Mitch's uh, West Six beer up this weekend, and then take back my two big uh, cowlers plus anything that I may still order on Saturday if something comes out. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's I. You know, I I like the uh, I like the beer community we've got. You know, I mean. 
I'm I'm up here um, just below Cincinnati. We got some friends down in the Lexington area. You're kind of in between. Um, there's there's been a lot of I have done so many beer handoffs in the parking lot of my apartment complex. Um, kind of you know picking up beer for people, having people deliver beer. Um, I know. A few weeks ago, I gave Chris a crowler. He was coming back through, headed towards Lexington. He stopped by. I gave him a crowler. He hauled it down to Lexington and then met up with our friend Nelson, gave him that. So it's all uh, the way in Mount Sterling. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's out he's out there a bit uh, yeah. outside of Lexington. So uh it's been and then I think you you took some things, uh for brandy down to the Wessex farm and you guys met up in the farm and traded some beers. We did. I'm trying to think what, uh, I can't remember. I think, I think it was the blood orange. Was that what you got? You know what? I think it was because I think that was the first Saturday smoothie one uh, that I ordered. And I was actively like, I was, I was talking to her while we were both trying to order it. Because she was like, the website's not working. I don't understand this thing. And I'm like, no, no, you got to you gotta cheat the system. This is how you do it. And, and honestly, to this day, I don't know if it's a, uh, it's a thing specific to mobile Safari, but it works on my phone and my iPad all the time. Uh, would not work on my computer. And the same trick did not work for her on Chrome on her Android phone because she hasn't uh, ascended to using an iPhone yet, but, um, well, technically she should be heading in that direction because I believe what we agreed upon was if I brought her beer, she was going to get an iPhone. That's right. I forgot about that. She's on the hook to get an iPhone, which, which is odd because Brandy doesn't really like beer. I know that that seemed crazy, right? That she would make a commitment like and that she when she doesn't really like beer. Yeah, yeah. 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 the follow. We were talking about her phone earlier today. In fact, she was complaining. There's a, some new Pokemon mobile game coming out in like a week, and she was complaining that she couldn't find it uh, in the Google Play Store. But I found it in the iOS App Store. So good for I'll, you. Uh, I'll, I'll have to follow up with her and be like, hey, well, who cares? Because when you get your new iPhone, it'll it'll be there. So, so everything, you do everything that checks out. and give me a notice and I'll wait a couple hours and I'll do the same. <laughs> we'll, we'll tag team the abuse until she actually gets an iPhone. I, and the abuse works, right? I mean, we, we, we got Garrett on the hook to get a new phone. He was already a, an iPhone person, but to finally get a new phone and it eventually worked, so... He did, though, get the least <laughs> new phone, iPhone he could get at the time. This is true. This is true. He got the, was it the 10R that he got? It was the 10R. Yeah. 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 The one that, uh, yeah. And to be, to be fair, I was, uh, that's when I was really thinking about making a switch to iPhone. And I was kind of looking at that one because I was like, oh, the, the price is, is not bad on it. But, um, I was glad he took the hit and got it because then I could see the display on it and realize that that was not the direction I wanted to go. Exactly. And 
And there's nothing wrong with the 10R. In fact, that's what my mom's got, and and she usually stays up to date and has the nicest phone. And and this past time, she got the 10R when she needed a phone, and and it served her very well. The bigger screen, it's got the same processor, uh, etc. But but uh, but the screen density and sharpness is certainly yep. uh, different and and not as good and and. Uh, I hate to be that guy, that snob, but uh, I really want on my phone, which is the it's the most prolific you my use of computing technology. Period. I, I want it to have the nicest screen I can possibly get. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I to be honest, I was fairly impressed because it has a uh, it's got a pretty low screen resolution relative to you know. Uh, a normal uh, higher end iPhone. Sure. I was impressed with how Apple handled uh, the font rendering on it. Cause I was like, man, at that, like yeah. at that PPI and that resolution, like I could see text not looking good, uh, but everything was really sharp and crisp, easy to read on it. I thought they did a phenomenal job with that. But the second you watch a video or even if you open a photo and look at it, um, you immediately realize this this is not the high end iPhone display that that I'm necessarily expecting and and also scrolling at times depending on what you're scrolling through you have similar sorts of issues ah okay okay yeah. i could see that yeah yep. yeah so well so at um, this point, any, any iphone would be good for brandy so we'll we'll, we'll oh, make yeah. sure that it's on the right path well i mean she's she's done everything else she's got that fancy new macbook pro the one with the great keyboard. She, she just needs to to rip off the bandage and, and go all the way in. You mean the bandage that she keeps putting on her finger because she cuts it on the broken screen of her uh, Pixel 3? That is exactly the bandage <laughs> I'm referring to. Yep. Absolutely. Uh. <laughs> so, uh, John, I know that... Um, We've talked about a lot of things during the pandemic, and and some of those topics have have gotten old for both of us. And so, uh, I keep asking you about a book that we both bought. I've I've mm-hmm. waded into, but you've kind of jumped into it with both feet. And I've done some other things. I probably haven't shared with you. I dropped a link in the uh, the the show notes. And so uh, maybe let's talk about uh, data mining and analytics. Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the book, the book in question is uh, "Mining Social Media" is the title of it, uh, from one of my favorite publishers, No Starch Press. They really specialize in. They have a lot of programming books. They also have books on other technology topics. Um, All their books, they do physical print copies if you want those. All their eBooks though are DRM free. Uh, and they're even cool enough. I once bought a no starch book from the uh, Google Play Store because it was on like hella sale. So I bought it there because it was wicked cheap. And if you buy it through a platform like that that has DRM on it, uh, they permit you to download DRM free PDF copies even from like the Google Play Store. So one of my favorite publishers I always like to support. Uh, but yeah, the book is really cool. So it was all about using uh, Python, uh, a scripting language, 
to pull data out of social media and run a whole bunch of analytics on it, do some analysis, find trends and different things like that in the data. So it was a, it was a really good read, uh, very interesting. And obviously, uh, or maybe not obviously, it's, it's really applicable to a lot of other things too, not just social media. Um, it really covers the basics of how to use either some different tools to scrape things directly off of websites to gather your data, uh, or how to use some APIs to pull that data off of different services. Um, and, and those are pretty universal, not just social media type things. So you can kind of pull data from really anywhere online with that and run through the same kind of analytics. Uh, they just use social media as a pretty easy base that I think is also going to be interesting to a lot of people just because most people have social media accounts and, you know, see some interest in doing that that might kind of get them down that path. Well, and, and your segue there about scraping just normal websites for data, not just the social media. The the woman that was um, fired from uh, Florida, she was the chief scientist for uh, Florida and was managing their uh, uh, delivery of coronavirus uh, information. And they asked her to do some nefarious things with the data. And so they fired her when she wouldn't. And so she's rolled out her own. And and in reading an interview uh, with her, there are some sources where she can get the data from directly. So some health departments and things like that. But in other cases, she is actually having to to scrape mm-hmm. websites of some entities and pull that data in. And then, and then what I always say is the data janitorial work, uh, which is the biggest part of any analytics is that janitorial work and, uh, and, and get that. But she, she's done a fantastic job and, it was not clear to me what percent of of her work was was uh, scraping web pages versus pulling data files in from from uh, various health uh, sources, but uh, but she took the mix of those and and rolled that rolls that out. I'm always fascinated. You know, I'm a big Tableau guy, and um, I've I've been part of uh, efforts at a couple of places, previous jobs where we uh, we rolled out some analytics platforms using uh, Tableau. And uh, in some cases, we were doing some scraping. Mostly what we did is pull down data sets from, from places, but uh, uh, interesting stuff. And, and so, so I bought the book. It, you sent me a link to the sale. And and this book was the thing that just jumped out at me as oh I want to I want to learn that uh, I've really been awful about working too much from home as opposed to that that work life balance I need to get better at that and so I've only waited in a, a little the Facebook stuff which which is what I just rolled through is not as interesting to me but as you said the the base. Um, sort of learning that you're going through as the value proposition as you're going through that, but but I'm interested in 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 Twitter data. So so tell me tell me what I can do with Twitter data, and let me tell you kind of a a story first. So 
so in the olden years, which seems like maybe, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago at a DEF CON, McAfee was taking, and uh, probably about eight years, um, 10 years probably gets us too, too much into the infancy of most social media sites, but they were able to take um, an app that was developed and pull uh, information off of Twitter and then using various correlation engines and and all that sort of stuff, tell stories like who's talking with whom, uh, where they're located, and, and kind of visually map that out. And that's always stood out to me. I do more on Twitter. I'm interested with some of the Twitter stuff. And so um, maybe from that perspective, what'd you learn? Yeah, so... Uh... To be honest, the 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 itself keeps things at a pretty pretty basic level. Um, so as far as a lot of that goes, it wasn't so much a I learned a lot as it was a good refresher and it kind of gives you a few tools to get started to really do some of that sort of deep analysis. Um, they they don't crack into that as much. They really kind of get you started down the path and then give you some, hey, here's what you can do to take it from here. Um, really, the book starts from the perspective of, I don't know anything about APIs. I don't know how websites are set up. I've never written code. So they do try to like lay that foundation for you sure. to get you started. Um, but what it does kind of enlighten you to is the fact that you can create a developer account with Twitter you can get yourself some API keys and you can start to programmatically pull a lot of data from Twitter. Um, Twitter's an interesting example just because Twitter has worked very hard over the past decade, I would say, um, to cripple their APIs. Yeah. Uh, so when you mention the, the infancy of social media going back 10 plus years, you know, I, I definitely remember creating my first Twitter account in uh, 2007, I believe it was, during that South by Southwest where it really kind of took off, uh, when Twitter didn't have, like, any apps. And uh, I installed a third-party client on my BlackBerry because that was the only option available were, were things that the community made and supported. Um, Twitter wanting to kind of centralize a lot of that more has has crippled a lot of that. But you can still get a lot of data from it. Um, you just have to be mindful of things like there's a limit to how much data they're going to give you. They're only going to give you so much data at a certain rate. Um, but the book does give you the foundation to say, I'm going to write a little bit of code. I'm going to maybe look at a particular user's Twitter account, for example. I'm going to pull in a whole bunch of data about their tweets. And you can get all sorts of data, right? You can look at an account. And if I want, I can get all the content from all of your tweets. I can get every single bit of that. Um, but what the book kind of goes through as well is, is how useful is that? You don't want to do that. I want to look at Mark's account and say, give me every single piece of data on every single one of Mark's tweets. One, it's going to take fucking forever to do that, right? Because uh, you're going to get rate limited. You're going to have to wait. That sort of garbage. And two, do you care about all that? Do I care about how many retweets it has? Do I care about how many faves it has? Do I care about all the content necessarily? Uh, it kind of walks you through making that plan to start with. You know, don't just 
pull data from Twitter for the sake of pulling data from Twitter, kind of think about what you want to look at and what sort of trends you want to, to analyze. And one of the cool examples they used, and as soon as I read it, I thought of one of my favorite tools uh, for Twitter, which is Bot Sentinel. Uh, Bot Sentinel is a service. Uh, there's a website for it. You can also get browser extensions for it. And you can plug in a Twitter account and basically it runs analytics on that account and it gives you a pretty darn accurate take on whether or not that account is a real person or whether that account is a troll bot. Um, and it uses a lot of the same techniques that the book kind of discusses on looking at things like, like how often does this account post things? Um, you know, and it, it kind of shows you some metrics they pulled from various accounts. Like this one's a real person. They post a handful of times a day and it will fall anywhere between, you know, 7 a.m. and midnight. Like the, the times people could be awake. It, it kind of makes sense. Um, then they showed you another one and it was like, this is a troll bot account and it's posting literally at the exact same time every hour, 24 hours a day. Like you would never be able to sleep when you're doing that. Or you're literally scheduling all these tweets, which like most people aren't going to do it to that kind of frequency. Or they showed accounts where it's this account never tweets except this two hour window where it'll tweet 100 times every single day and that sort of thing. Um, so from that sort of very basic metric of I'm not looking at the content or anything, I'm just looking at the timestamps of when these tweets happen. Um, kind of getting you thinking about the different metrics you can pull there. Um, so as a person who's been a big fan of Bot Sentinel and kind of what they're doing, um, that if it were up to me, I would say Twitter should just honestly fund Bot Sentinel and integrate that into their platform to save themselves from the dumpster fire that their platform kind of is right now. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool thing to, to think about, but um, that's kind of what it covered on the Twitter specific stuff. Um, it didn't get really in depth too much more into sort of the analysis piece. It was really that process of here's how you make your developer account. You get some API keys um, and you can start pulling data. And here's some samples of things you can kind of look at. So, and, and I just need to, to roll on through the book and, and, and kind of get that, uh, um, that visibility and, and try some things. With my analytics background, what I want to do is pull that data from a bunch account of accounts and then use a tool set, Tableau, Power BI, or something like that. I don't know Power BI. Um, I know Tableau. And, um, and then actually tell a story from, from multiple data points as opposed to just a singular data point. So, so getting the data down in all of the, uh, uh, the metadata associated, say associated with the tweets and other things, uh, and then try to build that profile. Like, yeah, like and, does Mark and, or John get up in the middle of the night and, and tweet at 2 a.m., which means they're just out drinking, and when they get all drunked up is when they tweet. So maybe we go out and analyze our friends and see when most of their tweeting is. Oh, that could be, uh, that could be dangerous. <laughs> so, but, so, uh, so I'm on bot, I'm on bot uh, Sentinel, and, and so I ran my Craft Brew Geek um, – account and it says I'm a normal account 6% and um 
And uh, so there's nothing wrong with my account. There's that's nothing disruptive and things like that. Um, just just for shits and giggles, um, I ran uh, our former governor Matt Bevan. His does show up as normal, but it's six yeah. percent, not zero percent, like mine. And and he does get out there and uh, troll people at uh, at times. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think though that's that's a fair point, right? That like obviously we know that he's uh, he's a, a real human being, um, sleazy as he may be, um, and it wow, reflects. You're being the, kind. It's I, I am I am I I have no love for him. I, I think he's an absolute piece of garbage. But um, and I I'm so glad he's not the governor any longer. But he isn't a troll bot, despite what contentious things he may spew onto the internet, um, which just lends more credence when you're looking at a Twitter thread and you're like, how can people be saying these things? And you copy the username and you plug it into bot sentinel and it comes back as like 94% troll bot. And you're like, Oh, that's, this is not a human in any yep. way, shape or form. Yep. Uh, but, but kind of to your point with using the tooling, uh, what's really cool about that, one of the things the book does cover, and it's it's nice that really they sort of incrementally build on the techniques that you learn as you work your way through the book. And even if maybe the particular social media outlet that they're using for a particular chapter doesn't interest you that much, the sort of things that you learn uh, in that chapter are applicable to others. So uh, a very common thing with pulling data from APIs is to basically put that data into a CSV file, a, a comma separated value file, uh, which is just basically the most uh, open format you can store data in that sort of maintains metadata information on this is the timestamp, this is the user who did it, that sort of thing. Um, and if you can take data from basically any source and store it into a CSV file, if you know how to do that, you can easily then go to something like Power BI or Tableau and start to do analytics on that. Um, they actually had two full chapters. I personally didn't go through them because it wasn't new to me, so I didn't feel it was worthwhile. But they had two chapters on just getting the basics of doing that uh, within Google Sheets and doing yeah, some okay. things like creating charts and graphs, even uh, doing some little formulas, running some analytics, that sort of thing. Um, but just imagine then, you know, you can take that same CSV file, and put it into Tableau and do a whole hell of a lot. So that was probably chapter seven, visualizing your data. I'm not there yet, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, just... Just chuckling again, Bot Sentinel. Um, I put in uh, our president, and uh, he's shown as normal. I'm not sure there's anything normal about him, but uh, he's right on the edge of normal and satisfactory. He is at a 21%. Yeah, and I'm curious. Um, I'm curious how much what you retweet ends up factoring into that as well. Um, because I know that 
there have been many times before where he has retweeted things from known troll bot accounts. Um, that, that probably is not helping. The and, and I wonder if there is a message on your account, which Twitter has started to do, and he's been hit with a couple of times. I'm wondering if there's a flag on that, that bot Sentinel also grabs in their waiting system. Yeah, I'd be curious if that number changed any when Twitter started to implement that. That would be interesting. Yeah. Fun stuff for sure. Um, I need to get through the book. Um, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the stories that data can tell. And, you know, I always hear from people about, well, you can make data say, tell anything you want it to, to tell. And, Maybe kind of if if you're disingenuous, if you're if you're not ethical, if you if um, if you're fraudulent, absolutely, you can take data and do that. But if you if you take a straightforward approach and look at data and you're ethical, I, I think I think multiple data points help you figure out what's going on. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree with that. And uh, I think it's important anytime you're going through data sets like that to be mindful of it and just kind of uh, of have the wherewithal to maybe even if you go into it expecting a particular outcome or thinking that it's the most likely um, to kind of question yourself at least a little bit if none of the data matches up with that, you know, and kind of consider, hey, do I need to change my own outlook based on the data that I'm seeing or the story that this data tells? Because um, to your point, especially when you're looking at multiple data points like that within a set, um, there's got to be a lot of orchestration, I think, to make a lot of data from disparate sources kind of all tell the same story yes. um, if it's not real. So, Yeah, in, in fact, in a, in a previous life, so we took, there was funding of a pension system and, and there were all these uh, political and emotional arguments about, about why the systems were underfunded. And, and when you took all those data points or, or, or all the, the data, and you use the analytics tool, in this case, Tableau, and and agnostically ran the tool, what, what it did was it showed the impact of decisions along the way. So, so it, it showed the impact when a legislative session by legislative session, what the impact to their decision about funding, how much that impacted the overall uh, deficit of the pension program. And and there was this argument about um, enhanced benefits. So once upon a time, you could retire instead of the high five years, you could retire uh, with your high three years, which is beneficial in most cases uh, being the highest three years of your salary and at a higher multiplier. So I believe it was a 2.2% factor instead of a 2.0% factor. And, and all that stuff, math is hard, but, but math is important and, and all that is meaningful. And so there was like, Oh, well, you know, 
there were these special incentives and and so that's what broke the pension systems and and the analytics tools allowed us to say that no that's not what it was and no this is not what it was and and these decisions to not pay the full actuarially uh required contribution or the arc uh is what doomed the pension system to to be fighting for its life so um the beauty of analytics is being able to take all those data sources and figuring out um who's at fault mm-hmm. what was the cause um or how do we get out of this you know whatever whatever it is you're trying to do you know what's what's the path out, and and we actually even used Tableau to show if the arc um, was paid, and if the the returns on investment were at these levels, how many years it would take for the the system to write itself, and and to me that's just fascinating to be able to use those tools to do those projections, and and you can't do that in excel and be accurate (laughs) yeah yeah i think that's that's an important point too you know because for a lot of people the gut reaction is i'm just gonna blame the thing i don't like whether it was i don't like the thing i don't like the person who made the decision on it whatever it is you know if it fits your narrative that's kind of what you want to go with um because it's most convenient if that's the thing that's at fault with making a, a situation bad um but it's impossible to refute that without having that data that can show, no, that actually wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. It was this other thing that caused the problem. So um, I think having that is important, though. Current times, a lot of people aren't going to objectively look at data, which is disconcerting, but that's a whole different topic. Sure. So I, I um at one point in time, I don't know if it's still available, but they had open sourced some uh, um, some IBM, some of the Watson stuff for reputational analysis. And so you could load data sets, for example, tweets and, and, and have it analyze um, and provide uh, reputational uh, outputs that then you could start pulling into tools with with other data points, and then start uh, start telling stories. I'm sure there's people smarter than you and I that are actually doing that today. I would just be fascinated if you took um, all the politicians uh, at the federal level and you pulled in their social media accounts and you did that reputational analysis. And and then you laid that out in using a Tableau type tool, and and had a um, a truth meter, and uh, and and so you'd you'd be using an analytics engine or, or analysis engine to determine um, the reputational score, I guess, and. Uh, and then applying that, so it, it's not you or me interpreting it emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a set of of non variable rules, right. and uh, I just think that would be fascinating as a project. Absolutely, yeah. Take take that human element and any bias out, and just say from an objective standpoint, how truthful yeah. 
the average statement coming out of this account. I think it'd be really interesting to see from uh, from some media outlets as well. Absolutely, yeah. How truthful is the content that they are regularly posting? Yeah, abs- um, same 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 premise, and, and <laughs> I would love to see that. It, you know, that would help me as a consumer make better decisions about uh, who I get my my data from. I I trust. Uh, certain people, I, I trust ProPublica more than I trust CNN. Mm-hmm. I trust the Kentucky uh, Center for Investigative Journalism more than I trust the Courier Journal or, or Kentucky.com, although the Courier Journal won a Pulitzer recently for some covering fraud and, and uh it, it beat out. Was it the LA LA Times and one other? There yeah. were like three in the final running, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I did not expect that. So, um, but you know that to me. So pretend you and I win the lottery. To me, that would that would be one of those contributions to society if you could get a group of people and maybe this exists and and you and I just aren't with the in crowd um but but just looking at that and and trying to figure out i mean most days i don't know who's telling the truth i mean i i, I feel i feel better about some people and worse about other people but I don't know that I feel good about the people that I feel better about. They're just, yep. they don't appear to me to be quite as um, untruthful as, uh, as, as, as the people I know are lying. You know, the people yep. that, that you listen to the audio that said, uh, you know, I hate these kind of people. And then they say, I never said I hate these kind of people. And you're like, dude, you were there's, on the fucking radio. Hence, a, our our, for, you know, our formal governor Matt Matt Bevan, who who regularly went on the Terry Miner show on WHS radio, and would say awful things, and then the press would ask him questions about it, and he'd be like, oh, "I didn't say that." And and, and they, yeah, they play the audio for him, and he'd be like, "I didn't say that." So. I, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. If we could, uh, you know, the, the problem to one of us hitting the lottery and uh, orchestrating a project like this is that, uh, one, I never buy lottery tickets. And uh, two, you never buy lottery tickets except when you travel. And I don't think you're doing a lot exactly. of traveling. So, so, so I'm <laughs> fucked right now because I'm not traveling. And the only time I buy lottery tickets is when I only tr- when I travel to an interesting place. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. yeah. Even, yeah, like even, if I travel to Columbus, Ohio, I'm not going to buy a lottery ticket. Yeah, probably not. Probably, probably, probably not in Columbus. But yeah, yeah. so uh, so yeah, so uh, so neither of us are going to going to hit the lottery anytime soon. Probably not anytime soon. No, I don't think so. So uh, I went. Uh, so so I have been to one of these in person, and then they've had kind of user group sort of things that I, t- I tended a lot when I was responsible for an analytics program. Uh, and when I say that people work for me, did all the work. I, I just thought big thoughts and, and occasionally could use a tool, but they did all the heavy lifting. So not to confuse anybody with my skill level. Um, but the uh, university of Cincinnati 
the Carl H. Linder College of Business for a number of years, has really led the area with analytics stuff. I have been to uh, just probably 10 of their events that had always been free, which brought people in and, and they were Power BI and Tableau sort of things. And 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 uh, one of them, I recall, uh, uh, tried to address uh, fraud and abuse um, in uh, pain clinics. And so they, they were able to to take uh, public sourced data and figure out which doctors were were the the pill mill sort of creators and who was billing uh, more than anybody else and then they would work with law enforcement and go in and do investigations and uh, and people were arrested and lost their their license to practice and some of them went to prison and 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 so that one stood out to me as as kind of analyzing that uh, that pain clinic stuff. But I attended one. Um, I haven't made much time. Like I said, I work too much to to kind of invest in myself. And uh, this past week, they had a uh, they were going to have a summit, and obviously the coronavirus shut that down. I missed their uh, June first. Um, um, event, but their June 15th event, I was able to attend. And, uh, and then they've got another one, John, in case you're interested coming up on June 29th and it's free. It's a webinar. Um, the links in the show notes. And so on the 29th, um, they've got a session called why trust, uh, the integrity of data visualization, why trust in uh, and in integrity and in, in data visualization is critical. And uh, one of them is uh, COVID-19 visualizations for workforce planning. And uh, the other one is uh, move along. There is something to see here. And uh, this guy, Jeffrey uh, uh, Schaefer, who is a Tableau Zen master, has been one of the guys I've seen a metric shit ton of times. He's just brilliant. And uh, he's got a bunch of stuff up on Tableau Public, or he did. And uh, looks like this session is a quick examination of location-based information, its usefulness and power, uh, and ethical considerations. That's exactly kind of where I started in, in asking you questions. Um, and then this past Monday, when I attended, it was two hours on Monday. It was a really good way to spend two hours uh, one of them was decision-making uh, under COVID-19 planning and recovery. Um, some really interesting models. So so um, I enjoyed that session. And there were a couple more. Uh, one of them was analytics leadership in uh, uncertain times. So, so there was a bunch of these. Uh, I spent two hours on Monday going through um, this particular session, learned a bunch, and uh, and I'm just fascinated how taking the data points from a bunch of different sources and places and and, and even different types of data points uh, allow you to uh, to tell a story. I, I read a story this week about um, you know masks are controversial right now. Wearing a mask is mm-hmm. controversial. 
And um, I keep seeing these data geeks that are coming out. And, you know, we have all this medical information, but but for some reason people aren't listening to the medical sources. And I find it interesting that these data geeks are coming out and they're they're starting to just take a more neutral look at things. And this particular data analysis, and it was from two or three people from really reputable colleges and universities in the United States, and they talked about um, – Really, we don't need a vaccine for the coronavirus. We need 80% of the public to wear a mask, and that is the vaccine. And they uh, compared data from the United States and some Asia-Pacific countries, and they all were compelling in their story, but the most compelling one was Japan. And so Japan did not close down everybody started wearing masks. And when you normalize the data by population, their their positive uh, test results were 2% of the U.S. test results. And to me, that's that's amazing at so many levels that, that that's... All they did was wear a mask. They didn't do anything else. They didn't close any businesses. And it's two percent. Yeah, holy crap! It and and that's to me that's not surprising. Um, just being decently familiar with Japanese culture, uh, and honestly, a lot of Southeast Asian countries are like this as well, where wearing a mask is already sort of like a, a commonplace thing. Um, in seasons of illness, you know, hey, seasonal flu's going around, or just I myself maybe have a cold, so I'm going to wear a mask when I go out. Um, there wasn't like, there's no stigma surrounding it. It's not a, it's not a politicized issue. It's, Hey, I, I don't want to get other people sick. I don't want to get sick or get more sick. So I'll wear a mask and yeah, the kind of difference that it makes. And, you know, it's on one hand, it's, it's amazing what a huge difference that makes. And on the other hand, that makes it all the more disappointing when you see people squabbling like it's an infringement upon their liberties or something to not infect their communities with a disease. And so they just refuse to wear it because um, just within the sort of small area uh, that I've been out and about with um, since this whole lockdown has started, it's been amazing that I'll drive to one side of town and, and go to a store and literally every single person inside is wearing a mask. And then I'll drive to the other side of town and go into a different place. And literally no one is wearing a mask. I mean, it's, it's insane. Just sort of the, the disparity uh, within such a small area, even. Yeah. I've had the same experiences. And uh, once again, how could we capture that data and 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 figure out and then throw that into an analysis window. So um, to continue this uh, discussion, I think this is one of our best episodes, by the way. Um, I was listening to an episode of the Daily Tech uh, uh, news show, DTNS, today. I mowed the yard tonight. And it talked about... Um, police departments using drones and a particular application 
to begin to measure in crowded places, in fact, what we're talking about. So how many people are wearing masks? How much social distance is going on? So so it is, uh, there's some sort of measurement and some sort of, um, they, they, the police said it's not facial recognition, but it's certainly some sort of recognition engine um, that's that's pulling that video and 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 looking at that. Um, I think you and I both uh, are uncomfortable with things like that, and and we've talked about Cory Doctorow's book Little Brother and some of the things that went on exactly like that. But but just from a general interest standpoint, if there were a way to measure in public spaces and in open restaurant bar areas the um the percentage of people that are following the regulations related to that oh i i 100% agree um it would be really interesting at least in my mind for for a few reasons right cuz from a big picture standpoint you could look at information on that and either confirm or deny um I assume from the metrics we've already seen, probably confirm that these measures work. You know, we've had fewer instances of outbreaks located at places where the rules were enforced. People wore masks, social distancing, that sort of thing. These places where the rules were more lax, do you see those spike up like you would expect? Do you not? That sort of thing. Um, and then from my personal perspective, I'd love to see that data, especially around here, just to know like, if I'm going to go pick up food somewhere, like what's the place I want to go to? I want to go to the place where people are following the rules. You know, I don't want to go to the place that seems pretty lax on that. And they just kind of let people do whatever they want. Um, so I, I think there's both big picture and sort of microcosm value in that. Um, you just have to kind of figure out how to do that without the ethical sort of privacy concerns. Um, which is sort of the same thing we've seen in the the contact tracing apps and all the big discussions surrounding that too. Um, there's a lot of good technical applications that can help the situation. You just have to figure out how to balance that with privacy. Yeah, and, and I was going to mention that, so I'm glad you brought that up. But to close this one out, so so I would be interested. A- anecdotally, it seems to me that the protest related to the uh, Black Lives Matter movement have been significantly peaceful Mm -hmm. and a great deal of utilization of masks. Now, probably not because the nature of a protest, social distancing, but but a little bit of that. And, And I would be and and then we certainly i certainly i shouldn't say we i certainly think that some of the more malicious activities um are really been outside of the protest movement so they are are, are rebel rousers and and people that are out to cause trouble or are just people that are out for them themselves and um i'm reading a book now i had recommended to you and and they talk a lot about poverty in that book and 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 kind of what poverty causes and mm-hmm. and so in some cases some of these are are actions or reactions to to being poor 
and they're mixed in with these protests. But I'd love to see that kind of data that showed that the protests themselves in these pockets of people, I think the story, in my mind, the story would be there is a lower uh, rate of coronavirus infection with the pockets in a community that had peaceful uh, protest and the parts of that same community that had civil unrest um, by other characters, you know, there, there, there's a mobile phone, there, there's data from mobile phones so you can tell where people were at. And, and so we know that from kind of the spring break data on the coronavirus that showed Miami beach being a hotspot for coronavirus carriers and how those people then carried that back uh, all across the East Coast and Midwest and even out West a little bit. And and so if you could take those two data sources, you could confirm or deny or, or build some interesting models that told actually what went on. And, and I think that'd be valuable information. I, I 100% agree, especially given the fact that as the the protests have gone on for, for several weeks now, I've seen a lot of people who probably don't care about what the Black Lives Matter protests are about and are really looking to sort of, um, to be blunt, cherry pick the situation to sort of support their own narrative saying, well you've got these people protesting and uh, nobody's making a big coronavirus deal about that. So we can go do other things now that we've not been doing because if the protests are okay, then these other activities are okay. Uh, but I think there's a lot of, a lot of data surrounding those that make them different than a lot of other activities that people are looking to do. Right. Um, to your point, there's a lot of people wearing masks um, generally speaking, you don't have a big protest like that inside somewhere. Everybody's outside. That makes a difference. So when I see people say things like, I should be able to have this huge indoor event um, because people can protest and that's okay. You know, those are very different scenarios with very different pieces of data surrounding them. And I think having hard metrics on that would also be useful to say, well, just because these events happened and there wasn't necessarily like a huge spike in coronavirus infections, that doesn't mean that this other thing that maybe on the surface feels a little similar, but has a lot of very important differences is going to end up being the same. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I just saw um, an article um Yesterday or this morning, um, using a analytics, and uh, so uh, uh, it, it was pretty interesting. So, so they used. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing they don't say, but uh, they used uh, web web screen scraping, and they took a uh, a white woman that uh, that torched a uh, police vehicle in uh, I believe Philadelphia and they um, they were able to screen scrape analyze her tattoo so they were isolate 
There was pictures and video of her, and she was wearing a mask. They were able to isolate her tattoos, and her T-shirt she was wearing was an Etsy T-shirt, and they were able to take those two things, trace them back, figure out the transactional record, and uh, I just found it. So it is in uh, Philadelphia. And so um, she was... uh, uh, Lori Elizabeth Blumenthal was charged with arson for of two Philadelphia police vehicles after agents tracked her down using only a tattoo on her forearm and the T-shirt she bought on Etsy. And they absolutely had to do that via what we're talking about uh, yep. in, in screen scraping. So yep. um, pow- powerful use of the the that approach to technology. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, yeah, to kind of like tie it back together, you know, the, the book really does a good job of kind of getting you down that path, be it I'm scraping the websites or I'm doing API work. Um, obviously you can use a million different things uh, to kind of, to kind of do that. If you need to programmatically get that information back. Uh, the, the book uses Python, which is a good choice. I think it's a very simple language and it's extremely popular. So if you get kind of stuck doing anything, you you can uh, either you know do a Google search or you can call up uh, somebody, uh, if you have a friend or a, like a coworker Chris. who's really good at doing Google searches. Yeah, yeah, like Chris, get them to do it for you, but you'll get back a ton of information. Um, and to the book's credit as well, um, sort of the things you need to do that with Python, they're not like a, they're not a standard part of the language. Uh, there, there are libraries you need to install. Very simple process to install them and get started using them, but it covers all that for you. So um, typically the requests library uh, is the one you'll use for all the API stuff. It does a good job of going over that. Um, and then if you have to break down and you're going to start scraping content off of websites, um, there's a library called Beautiful Soup that does a really good job of taking sort of the tags inside of a website um, and kind of breaking those down into different objects you can filter on so that if you know, hey, there's a particular tag um, on this website and every time they make a post, it's nested within these tags you can use beautiful soup to break that down and very easily get the data you want uh, without having to do a whole lot of manual work. Uh, I actually used the beautiful soup library way, way back in the day when, uh, when Pokemon go came out and had all sorts of service issues. I, uh, I wrote a really shitty Twitter bot that would tweet every time the service status changed or went down. Uh, and I did that by using beautiful soup to, to scrape a, uh, a website that had that information on it. So ah, cool. Yeah. It really, really useful stuff. And, um, you know, to, to kind of the point that you just made, you can really do a surprising amount with that to get data that, you know, it has to be available because it's on the internet, right? Like people are looking at it. If you can see it in your browser, it's gotta be there, uh, but maybe there's not an API that does that sort of thing. So um, you can really, really do a lot with that, and uh, that kind of gets you, kind of gets you going down that path. And and once you're kind of familiar with using the package, the sky's the limit on uh, on what you can do. Good stuff. Um, so you had you had mentioned the the 
the contact tracing and um, once again, a different episode of uh, the Daily Tech News Show that uh, I got caught up on while I was mowing the yard. Um, so United Kingdom had a uh, had a centralized uh, uh, contact tracing database that they were utilizing in some apps on phones. And, and as the story goes, their um, their distance information was closer and more accurate than the Google Apple collaboration, but the data collected while anonymized was not as good, and so they've abandoned their uh, centralized government database and are now switching to the model for uh, that Apple and and Google have have rolled out. You know, I'm a privacy guy. I'm a security guy. Um, but I see public interest value in in what Apple and Google are are doing, and and at some level, I still am naive enough to have faith that some people will do the right thing. Yeah, it's um, it's been really interesting. Um, Mozilla, who I'm, I'm a huge fan of them and what they do. Um, obviously, a, a company very focused on privacy. They've done a really good um, series of blogs. The Mozilla blog's interesting. You would think it's just all about their web browser, but it's really not. They cover all sorts of topics, many privacy-related. Uh, and they did a really good breakdown on a few of the different contact tracing apps that had been rolled out in different parts of the world uh, before the sort of designs that Apple and Google had come up with, just sort of their own homebrew things within the country, but often taking very dramatically different approaches. So um, there are some that went full tilt, like it's a centralized database and, you know, all the information's in there and obviously they have to keep it super locked down allegedly so that only the right people can look at it. Um, you're going to have the easiest access to all the data then, but then there's also a lot of concern that you have a lot of incidental data that could be used for things other than contact tracing um, down to some really, really unique um, designs that some other countries had come up with to do things like saying every time, you know, two phones are within a certain distance of one another for a certain threshold of time, they sort of generate like random mm -hmm. key pairs and exchange those and they store them all local. Um, and then if somebody is diagnosed, confirmed with the coronavirus, they can hit a button on their phone that says like, I got it. I got it now. I just was confirmed. And then the app locally on the phone says, okay, so you've, you've probably been contagious within this time frame. I'm going to take all those unique identifiers and shoot something out that notifies all those people that, hey, you were in contact with somebody who just got diagnosed with the coronavirus. So, and isn't um, that the Apple-Google model? Isn't that how they're handling the privacy? Yeah, I believe that's how they're handling the privacy. But there, there was a, I wish I could remember the name of it. Um, I, I just pulled up the blog post. I don't have time to read through it all right now at the, the time. We'll include it's in the it. Show notes. It's a show, show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of the countries, their app model followed exactly that, like sort of that, that very privacy focused model. And we'll fix um, that in post and, and add some, some. With audio, our right? thing that we always do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, we almost said it with a straight face. <laughs> almost, almost. It's a good thing this is a uh, audio podcast, even though we can see each other grinning. So, exactly. uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so John, we've been riffing for uh, an hour and fifteen minutes. So. I'd say we probably ought uh, to close this bad boy up. I will tell you that uh, that I can read and and talk and think about analytics and and all the different things for good and for bad that analytics can be utilized for and and if people paid more attention to that instead of all the emotional bullshit, um, mm-hmm. the world would be a better place. I, I definitely agree. And uh, I also agree that sort of having experience, and mine is, is nowhere near to the same degree as yours, but having experience with working with data sets and trying to perform analytics, it really gives you... Um, sort of a better view on is the data that I'm being presented with that somebody else has prepared? Like, does that seem like valid data or does it seem like there's not really, there's not really data here this is based on, but it's somebody's sort of like gut reaction to something off the bat. And when you see that, you immediately sort of become more, more wary of having too visceral of a reaction to what you're reading, just because you're like, well, I understand they're trying to make a really strong point, but they're not really backing it up on anything. Whereas you might read another article and be like, there's a lot of really hard data here that really kind of drives that point home. And and there's a lot of value in that, um, in both understanding that and being mindful of it so that you can kind of be a little more careful about the information you're consuming that you kind of put weight into, if that makes sense. It does. It does. Absolutely. And, uh, I think that is, uh, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll get further down this road. Um, it seems like, you know, you and I are, are, uh, are following a number of, of analytic sources and, and I know you and I think similarly on, on some of the, the world health um, issues going on with the coronavirus and, and we follow what we believe to be, um, good data sources that are using analytics. And we can look at those analytics and kind of say, Oh, we, we think they seem real or we can call bullshit on them. Um, calling bullshit on the Pike County, Kentucky one that has uh, (laughs) the X and Y axis and, the label upside down. So it looks like the uh, virus is decreasing because it's going down instead of up uh, and things like that. (laughs) But uh, at any rate, um, (laughs) I do think that. uh, um, So uh, just so you know, John, Pearl, the wonder worm is uh, about to join the, uh, the podcast. So. uh, Oh, all right. uh, All right. I'm getting custody of, uh, of Pearl. (laughs) Uh, for uh, a little while, so uh, hopefully she doesn't start barking. I, I always like when we get to hear her in uh, in calls at work. You know, she occasionally wants to chime in. Has very strong opinions about a few things. She does. In fact, um, I think in the show notes, since Pearl has joined us, it's only fair we put everybody's social media in there. So I'll drop Pearl's 
Instagram yeah. account into uh, our uh, our show notes. Should definitely give Pearl a follow. And uh, uh, accordingly, hey John, where can people find you online? Yeah, so I've uh, I've been changing up my online activity a good bit recently. Um, not I, I've been doing my best for a variety of reasons to uh, remain inactive on social media. So. Not not too much going on, on the social media front right now, but uh, my personal website is jfabhd.com. Um, that does have links to all my other stuff. Just a lot of them are going to look kind of dead right at the moment. Not as much going on there, but uh, I do blog regularly over at unusually.pink website. I have for uh, another podcast that I do with our good friend, Brandy. Brandy uh, doesn't and drink beer? Yeah, she doesn't like doesn't beer. Doesn't like beer, yes. Doesn't even like it. Um, despite the fact that she bought beer online from a place an hour and away, an hour and a half away from where she lives, so that we could like do the 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 beer Oregon trail down to Frankfort, Kentucky, where she went to meet you and pick it up. That's kind of wild. Um, but at the landing page for that website is uh, is a blog where I post all kinds of random stuff, usually uh, tech related. Uh, my thoughts on new tech that I'm working with, thoughts on programming stuff that I'm doing, all sorts of cool shit like that. So feel free to give it a try. You had a, you? a blog post uh, recently, didn't you? Uh, I had a couple blog posts That's recently. That's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I did one. I've been doing uh, a little work with a new programming language uh, at work. And so uh, I ran into an issue there that I couldn't easily Google despite, you know, I called Chris and everything and he couldn't find any good hits for me. So once I figured it out, I blogged about it. Um, and then uh, I recently got a new laptop. It's sort of like a, a really cheap, like open source project kind of laptop. So I've been doing a lot of different things, messing around with that. Uh, they've got a really good community. So anytime I find something cool, I've been doing posts there. I think I recently just did one about fixing my swap file that was fucked up on the laptop. So good, uh, good, good stuff going on there usually. All right. I, I, How about I, I enjoyed both those articles. Yep. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad somebody, and to be honest, I say somebody reads them like nobody reads them. Um, I, I do look at my analytics on those and uh, some, some good hits. So uh, I, I don't do it necessarily just to get hits, but it is always nice when you write something to know that like other people consume it and find it useful. So um, it's not just me like screaming into the void of the internet. So it comes down fun. via my RSS feed, man. That's oh, uh, yeah. to me, that's the only way to go. I would never remember to go to all the various websites that interest me if RSS didn't exist. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I very frequently because I end up Googling a lot. Uh, now, granted, I don't, because I'm a privacy guy, um, I don't usually Google it. I usually duck, duck, go it. But um, sure. I do a lot of web searches uh, at work, and I often stumble across various blogs that have, you know, good information that answers what I'm looking for. And then I'll kind of poke around the site, and I'm like, this site's really cool. If I didn't plug it into my RSS feed, I would immediately forget that it exists. Yep. So I'm right there with you, dude. I, I got to put them into into my rss but uh how about you where can uh, where can everyone find you on the internet so uh i'm i'm still at uh, craftbrewgeek.com at uh, all the usual social networks uh still haven't got that website uh fixed up uh, i did uh start a website for uh our our social media and google guru chris 
Um, but I'm kind of at a stopping point because uh, I needed uh, words to go with it. Uh, and uh, and he's yet to get me any words other than the words that I've written uh, for his uh, Central Kentucky uh, Bluebird uh, Trail. So, uh, so I'm at a stopping point on that one. So maybe this weekend I'll work on my website instead of his since, <laughs> uh, since uh, he hasn't gotten me any words. What's the filler like? Laura Mipsum, the uh, exactly. the garbage. Yeah, it's always in there. Yeah, yeah there, website. There, there's a lot of Latin <laughs> shit on his website right now. There's there's some cool pictures that some he took, some I took of of where the 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 trail is for these birds and and their houses. But uh, but there's a lot of Latin on the on okay. the web page right now. No, you know, you can't rush these things. I'm sure he'll, uh, I'm sure he'll spend some good time on it this weekend. I know he doesn't have anything else going on. So, yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think he's listening to our live stream right now. I think he's no. out in the woods somewhere. Yeah, I think, I think so. He's, uh, I think he's pretty off the grid right at the moment, yeah. but that's okay. That's okay. So, uh, as usual, John, it's always fun. Uh, one of the most interesting and fun things that I ever do is uh, talk about shit on this podcast with you. This was, uh, and I, I learned stuff tonight as I always do. And uh, I know neither of us have been very good about uh, keeping our cadence up. We should do a better job of that. Yeah, you you would. It's it's surprising, isn't it? You would think, given that like we all sit at home all the time, that it would be easier to do that. But it's honestly been it's been harder. more. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I know I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I definitely work even more hours now because my home is my office. So that all kind of kind of blends together. But, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, we always talk about great shit, always learn new shit, um, always drink some good beer. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. We need to we need to keep our, our production levels up. But uh, and I think we know. both have uh, refrigerators full of beer. Yeah, uh, the last time I counted, I had 38 cans of beer in my fridge, uh, five of which were crowlers, not including the two crowlers that belong to you. So I'm getting low, is what I'm telling you. Yep, yep. that that does seem a little low. I mean, what what if a second wave comes? What are you going to drink? Yeah, what if I'm stuck at home for like four or five days, I'll, I'll run out. So uh, I, I better go stock up. Hey, the good news is uh, one of my good buddies is uh, actually headed up this way, uh, I think tomorrow, and is going to drop off some more beer for me. So that's that's good. Ah, that's good to know. It's good. To, let's, let's hope he doesn't take your beer and Mitch's beer and uh, skip town. That's true. But I mean, if he does that, I do have two beers of his in my fridge. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I won't, I won't be totally out. It's all good. Yep. All right. Good talking to you, man. See you next time. Yes, sir. Take care.